0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church this morning. Um, this morning, we have a guest with us. Pastor Jay Harris uh, has joined us this morning from the Ville Church in Jacksonville. Um, I think Pastor Jay is going to tell us a little bit more about his family whenever he gets up here. Uh, but he's here with his wife this morning, Alana, and their um, four-month-old Jax. So thank you guys so much for being here. Just a couple of things to know about Pastor Jay. Um, one is that Pastor Jay um, co-founded or co-started a mentoring program in a local high school in Jacksonville, where he's from, that has caught the attention of everybody from local authorities up to uh, President Obama. So just um incredible volunteer in his community. Also, Pastor Jay, a few years ago, started a clothing brand and a store downtown jacksonville that became more than and that is more than just a clothing brand and a store it is a uh, a place of missional outreach for downtown jacksonville and so in just a second pastor jay is going to come up here and share with us Uh, but prior to him coming up i think uh, there's a short video we're going to see about the clothing brand and the store and some of the things that have happened in downtown jacksonville so after that pastor jay will come up and we'll move on from there
1: We started straight and narrow because we wanted to make a statement. Wanted to connect with others. Figured a shirt would play the perfect billboard to spread a powerful message. Something powerful enough to heal, something powerful enough to save, something powerful enough to change the world, you know? So in 2010 we launched the brand with a concert. Then we started grinding online. We delivered our message with fashion, music, and even videos. People got it. Streets got it. About a year later, we made a bold move. We moved into a retail space in downtown Jacksonville. It didn't make sense financially. The location didn't make sense. Timing didn't even seem to make much sense. But we couldn't shake the feeling that we were supposed to do this. So we stepped off the ledge, and we made a faith move A move that would change everything. Some people came to shop, but more people came with needs. We saw the people that were hurting around us. So we responded with love. And in what seemed like overnight, we became way more than just a clothing brand. Straight and narrow became a lifestyle. We hosted concerts and Bible studies to get the word out. We heard, guided, and mentored those who came to our doors. We clothed and fed those in need. As we begin to respond to the everyday needs of people, we begin to live the brand. We begin to unlearn our religious ways and begin to learn what the gospel was about. None of us are perfect or worthy. Our good works will never save us. The thing is, Jesus lived a sinless life and died to save each and every one of us. So we love because we were loved. We show mercy because mercy was shown us. We give because God freely gave to us. So Jesus, he's our straight and narrow. The only one to ever do it. You know what I'm saying? The one and only. So we just follow. Y'all can clap or do something. Come on. (laughs) How y'all doing this morning? All right. Let me get myself situated. The mic situation is a little different than mine at home or whatever. For some reason, I have like this fear right now that this thing is going to get wrapped all around me. Y'all going to have to come get like, like, save them, unroll them, you know? Y'all doing all right? at my church or whatever in the morning, I usually make everybody howl. Um, like when I come out, I'm like, a, a, yeah, like I do that thing. <laughs> but people start to think we're just like, you know, like fans of Twilight or something. So we're like, we should stop doing it. I think we're scaring people. All the new people start walking out. Um, so a little bit about me before we jump into the sermon. My name is Pastor Jay Harris. Like you said, like you heard him from the Ville Church. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, raised in um, Jacksonville, Florida, a little bit in Orlando, Florida, hence the mickey mouse tattoo whatever the penguin with who i call harry i'm not sure what that's about but anyway there's some stuff you just write on yourself for no reason but anyway so um i want to show you a little bit of my family a little bit so me and my wife my wife Alana's back there trying to keep jacks asleep and um that's our 10th over there and so that's nine right there so if you see me, like, you know, start wigging out up here or whatever, it's just because I'm hearing my kids' voices in my head asking for juice cups and stuff. It just happens or whatever. Don't mind me or whatever. I just be like, no, no juice. You had too much water. All right. Um, so, yeah. So we have nine kids. Well, excuse me, ten kids. I can't even keep up anymore. You got to apologize or whatever. But ten kids or whatever, and it's absolutely amazing. It's the best torture on earth. Anyway. Um, so big family, all that good stuff. Let me tell you a little bit about, um, straight and narrow that you just saw. Normally I wouldn't show up and actually tell you about a brand before I get to the gospel, but I want to get out of the way so I could preach. So the context that our church is in, um, well, let me tell you this. I started the brand in 2010. The brand blew up really, really big. We ended up opening a clothing store and we kind of set it kind of on a city block, like how y'all are situated here. And we did that because there was so much going on and we're like, what if we put something in an organization that's like Christian and just drop it in the middle of all the action? Um... And it did more than I ever would have imagined. And it was one of the most amazing times in my life. We had a Bible study, started with like five people. Then it got to the point where like people would be out of the door, like listening like that. And I was like, man, you know, like this is really amazing. But it wasn't the church. Like it was awesome, but it wasn't the church. Um, And and, and what's crazy is that kind of like my friends that were there at the Bible study, we kind of, I kind of did this because it didn't seem like they could find a place in the church that I was at. And um, but so I went and did that. And then I was like, but this isn't a church. So it's like these kind of two things going on. And I ended up closing it. And then I ended up going to my church or whatever, where I became a pastor on staff and took over as lead pastor or was put in place as lead pastor eventually. And and as we're in the church or whatever, we've seen the need for we're like, we have to have a front porch. Our context is really, really rough. The credibility of the church is kind of like out the window. And so we're like, OK. We're going to have to approach the way we evangelize and approach the way we actually minister to people from a different angle. And so I dissolved ownership of the clothing brand and gave the clothing brand to the church. And so let me tell you about the context we're in, right? So we... um, we have the lowest average household income. It's about twenty-one thousand dollars. Highest unemployment rate in our city. Lowest level of education. Highest mortality rate for heart disease, anything like that. Highest homicide rate. Highest HIV HIV uh, death rate. STD. Uh, highest teenage pregnancy rate um, from fifteen to nineteen years. Highest rate of infant mortality. Um, highest rate of ER visits. I think. I think. Seventy, around 70% of the people in our context don't even have cards. And so it's one of those things where it's like there's a bunch of churches around, but people just have lost esteem for it. And so the store works so well that the leaders at our church, they're like, why don't we take the brand? Why don't we launch it again? Because another issue is the financial side of things for where we're at. You're just plain and simple, not going to be sustainable. And so we didn't want to go around begging for money all the time. And so we're like, well, why don't we actually? We need to teach business ownership and community development in this context. So why don't we take the business and actually, you know, work it, and um, and then we're going to actually turn it into a brick and mortar probably in the next year and a half, which will actually end up being our first church plant. Um, so we're excited about that. So that's why I wanted to show you that we have some stuff outside. Um, normally, when you see pastors it's like, hey, I wrote five books or whatever, I have some stuff. I ain't writing books, but I put a pitch on a shirt. All right, it's a little bit different. <laughs> I put a picture on the shirt, but it's outside. It's completely owned by the church. So if any of you just support it or whatever, um, you can take a look. When you go out, it's right there to your right. But if you take a look at it or whatever and you support or buy anything, that goes completely to our church to help us sustain and complete our mission and do what we need to do. All right? And if you don't like any of this stuff, buy it and give it to somebody. All right? So we're going to jump into the Word this morning. Y'all ready to do this? All right. Praise the Lord. We're going to be... Inside of First John two fifteen through seventeen today. Um, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Pastor uh, Ben also. Pastor Ben is my buddy. I know he's been gone or whatever, and y'all have been told don't mess with him, whatever, and leave him alone. Let him hang out for a little bit. My church does that too when I go on uh, sabbatical and stuff, or whatever. So, believe me, he's greatly appreciated. Um, but Ben is a good guy. I love him to death, and uh, we've gotten to hang out a little bit. He was in a uh, in a um, a residency deal with me. And uh, it was a bunch of guys, you know, you get a bunch of people together, you meet some cool guys and all that stuff, or whatever, but you meet that person that's like your person or whatever, where y'all just kind of connect, like both of us love art and stuff, so, it's my my man right there, so, when he comes back, y'all give him a bear hug for me. All right, I'm going to go fast, because I feel like I have a a lot here, or whatever, and I'm a little schizophrenic when it comes to preaching, so y'all bear with me, pull your pins and your pads out to do something, but... Let's 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 dig out some good stuff out of here So first john two fifteen through 17 says um Do not love the world for uh, do not love the world or the things in the world If anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the father But is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires But whoever does the will of god abides forever All right so let's start breaking this text down. I'm going to tell you all something really quick. What's crazy is that I talked to Pastor Ben, and I told him I was coming, and I told him the wrong date. And so um, I told him the wrong date, so he gave me First John 1, um, 5 through 10. And then when I switched the date, he gave me the right date, and then I didn't see it or whatever. So I preached another text last week in my church thinking I was going to warm up for y'all and come out here and kill it. And then God had me find it this week, and I was like, oh, my God, I have the wrong text whatever. So yeah, anyway, so this whole text right here, whatever we see when we start off in that first verse 15, there's a whole lot of loving going on there, whatever, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in them. It seems simple enough, whatever, but I want to kind of dig on some of these words because I feel like having a good understanding of the definition um, that John is working with, is going to help us a whole lot here, right? So let's look at the word, the word world, right? There's love in the world. There's love in the things in the world. There's anyone who loves the world, right? So I believe verse 16 kind of gives an idea of what he's pushing at when he talks about the world, right? So verse 16 starts off like this. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. So let's kind of work through those three things right there or whatever, right? What is he actually talking about there? Um, so when you talk about lust of the eyes, desires of the flesh, you're pretty much talking about like like, like physical pleasures for, for the desires of the flesh or whatever, right? You're talking about like this, this, the lust of the eyes is that thing that captivates you. It's whatever's shiny to you and kind of draws your attention to it, right? What kind of like exalts itself over the Lord or whatever. And it's like, you know, when it's like, uh, you know, you know how it is when you're single or whatever. I haven't been single in a long time or whatever. But, you know, when you're single or whatever and you're like, that person is not good for me. But you're like, I should look this way, but I'm, I'm sorry. It's lust of the eyes or whatever, right? So it's something that you're captivated. Maybe you know it doesn't really measure up. It's not the right thing for you to do or pursue. But you're like, you caught a glimpse and it has a hold of you, right? And then you have like desires of the eyes. You have, you have, you have the pride of life here or whatever, you put these things together. So I'm gonna to try to hit both of these like this. I want to hit lust of the eyes and desires of the flesh kind of together. And the reason I want to do it is because they, to me, they kind of work together because you get the lust of the eyes first and then it manifests into the flesh or whatever, right? Lust of the eyes, flesh deal comes together and then they have a baby called sin. All right. That's the way it works. That's the way Satan plays the game. Let me talk to you about Galatians 516 21. I want to read this to you really fast to kind of dig into what desires of the flesh is because this pretty much lays it all out. Um, in Galatians 5, it says this. I'm going to read 16 through 21 because I think it's necessary to kind of pull all of this stuff out. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. So this is our list. This is us kind of digging out what, is, what, is, what, are, what are the desires of the flesh. When they manifest and they become works, this scripture right here does all the work for us, right? It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So um, Paul doesn't hold back there. He's given us a whole list, a whole buffet of works of the flesh, right? So he breaks breaks that down for us real good. But there's a part inside of Galatians I want you to pay attention to. In verse 17, it says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all hear that part? Y'all can say yes or anything or whatever. We can talk a little bit, right? Did you catch that part in that scripture? It's super important when we're looking at this text because this is kind of some weighty stuff or whatever. I read that list or whatever and stuff or whatever. And, like, you know, it says stuff like, you know, like, you know, like, strife or whatever, anger or whatever. I'm like, okay, I have a fits of anger every every blue moon, you know? Well, not even a blue moon, every moon. All right, daily. All right? You know, stuff like, you know, when when I... when I It's so important for you to remember just the, the gospel uh, when you're reading this kind of stuff because when you start reading the word and you start digging in here or whatever, you already know Satan's going to kind of creep up and get in your ear and be like, I know what you did last summer. You know, like, you know, you can play, play cute in here if you want to. You four you four out of eight on that list. You know, like I'm keeping score. Like all this kind of stuff kind of starts moving in on you and starts condemning you. But it's but it's right here in the scripture or whatever, like we have to kinda of own it. Because you can't you can't benefit from the text if you won't walk in the light. I think you learned that in first John one five five through ten about walking in the light and how it says like the blood of Jesus is like it like like the problem is not really like the fact that you have sin. Jesus handles that. The fact is like, will you actually walk in the light with your sin? Will you actually step up and say, yeah, I'm guilty. That's me. Right. Because God is like, "I, I got that. I got that handle. But will you walk into it? But it says to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So the spirit of God is actually opposed to the flesh, your flesh and the cravings of the flesh or whatever. But like if you don't say yes, I actually struggle with these things, then now you're actually working against the Spirit because you're saying that the Spirit is a liar. Do you all get where I'm coming from? You're saying, like, I got this, is what you're saying. And that's the problem. That's the problem you saw in in, in 1 John 1. So Galatians is actually pointing that, and I think that's important because what it does for us is that it actually gives us freedom for the Spirit to help us. So, like, we can hear a a message like this that, that lists out all of these things or whatever and go... Yeah, that's me. I'm, al- I'm allowed for it to be me. I'm allowed for it to be, to be guilty because of grace and mercy. So I just want to give you that be- as we dig into this or whatever, because I don't want, you know what I'm saying, the enemy have you in the corner like whispering on you, you know what I'm saying? And you're over there like, oh, my God, I suck. I'm never coming back. You know, I don't want you to do that, all right? But Galatians, so Galatians gives us the, the desires of the flesh, right? And I'm going to kind of jump back to lust of the eyes or whatever, Right? So like the lust of the eyes is like, I want to kind of model out how it plays out for you because I think it's important, right? But it's like, you know, you say you like, let's say you go to work. And there's a new, I'm, I'm gonna do it from the ladies' perspective, because I feel like I always bash guys or whatever, because I'm a guy. Right? So let's say you go to work, ladies, or whatever, right? And there's a new guy at work or whatever. His name is Romeo. Romeo comes in, you know what I'm saying, or whatever. He walks through, his hair's like kind of blowing a little bit, or whatever, and stuff. And, you know, and like, you know, everybody's like, hey, you know, Cheryl, this is Romeo, or whatever, you're talking and all this other stuff. And then, you know, Romeo tells a joke, and everybody laughs, and then you laugh. But you don't just laugh, you laugh and you give them like the, (laughs) and then you do the wave through your hair. And then in the moment it hits you because you're like, that's my husband's wave through the hair. I don't do that wave. I only pull that wave out when I'm feeling like I need to be cute. So like your heart is kind of convicted because you're like, I don't care about Romeo, but you're like, but I did the wave. You get where I'm coming from? It's lust of the eyes. This is where it starts at. Everybody does that first look, it's what you do at the next look. So now when you're getting dressed the next morning, you pull out your Mac. I don't know what my wife has. It's, it weighs twelve pounds, but it's like a packet of like paint and bare paint and all that and I don't know, primers and all type of stuff. But she gets it out and gets ready in the morning, right? But like the next morning, do you like pull that thing out and like try to get a little extra cute, cute, because Romeo's gonna be there? Right? So, like, that's where, like, the lust of the eye starts, and then it's like, is it going to manifest into, like, a fleshly desire, right? Is it going to come alive from inside of your heart and inside of your mind and actually manifest into something, right? Or are you going to show up at work or whatever and do the Stone Cold Steve Austin? Then you run into Romeo, he tells a joke, and you just like, <laughs> I'm married. That's how you're supposed to show up. So I want my wife to show up. You better show up like that, all right? It's the lust of the flesh. I'm making a joke out of it, but it's what runs us all day long. Listen, this text has been so convicting to work on. It's been so convicting or whatever. And I'm not over it. I'm still in the middle of it with my own heart working through it. Because it's like I'm making fun with these scenarios, but, like, these are the real-life scenarios that really, really happen. That's how it really goes down, right? You know, classic lust of the eyes. King David. Right. King David hanging back, not going to war, getting a bit comfortable, giving himself credibility that he didn't deserve. That's where it starts at. That's why that part inside of Galatians is so important to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I love to blame stuff on the devil, but it's like, no, homie, this is to keep you from doing what you actually want to do. Your flesh is actually wicked. When you start to think that you're cuter than that. That's the pride of life. We're going to get in that in a second. But when you start thinking you're too good to actually make these mistakes, to fall into this sin, that's when you're not looking, right? But King David, he's kicking back. He doesn't go to war. He kicks back. He hangs back. And he's chilling. And next thing you know, he looks over and he sees Bathsheba. And then we know the rest. He sees her. He pursues her. You have lust of the eye, you have the desire of the flesh, you have the work of the flesh, boom. Sin happens, they have a baby. And then sin always gives you more than what you bargain for, right? So not only does the situation happen with Bathsheba, but he ends up murdering Uriah the Hittite, one of his most loyal friends. I guarantee you, David, with all of his splendor and glory that was around him, he would have bet his life that he was a better man than that. He's a better man than that. That's what he would have bet you. He would have told you that. But he got comfortable. He got comfortable. And what I believe actually took him out, of course, it was process-wise, it was lust of the eyes and then the manifestation of sin and everything, that how that played out, but, like, it was the pride of life, right? This is our last point on here. Pride of life. The identity you attach to yourself that causes you to feel like, like your worth is elevated over, other, over others, Right? It could be rooted in what you have, it could be your car, it could be your house, it could be um, your status, the family you come from, right? It's what you find in the center of racism, elitism, classism, all of these ugly things, these things that we actually use to create value. That's not godly, doesn't involve humility, doesn't involve none of these beautiful things that come out of the love of God, but they're actually from the world. It's thinking the world gives us. It's these categories it gives us or whatever, right? That actually end up trampling over our brothers or sisters, but it's based on this pride. It's like where we're fighting to be this, this, we need to be in this status and seen in this light because whether it's our, and it it varies from different cultural contexts, right? You see, see. you Everything from KKK to black liberation initiatives, where it's like people are like their value is rooted in their race and their identity and all these different things. And based on whatever their historical narrative is, whatever story got whispered in their ear, they stand on it and everybody else gets small around them. It's the pride of life. Or maybe it's just because while it's really big. And everybody else is peasants. We've seen this historically. It's the wickedness that stirs in the heart of man. This is the world. This is all that's in the world. It's what verse 16 is talking about. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the father, but it is from the world. It's a foolish endeavor. It's a foolish endeavor that's about us. It's anti-humility. It makes God small and makes us taller makes us boast about ourselves. john thirteen thirty six. we see peter caught in this whole thing right jesus says somebody said simon peter excuse me said simon peter said to him lord where are you going jesus answered him where i am going you cannot follow me now but you you will follow me afterward peter said to him lord why can i not follow you now i will lay down my life for you and jesus answered will you lay your life down for me Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Peter's betraying Jesus with a sweet, empty rhetoric that sounds like devotion, sounds like devout love, but it's actually rooted in the pride of life. It's fleshly. Peter's confidence is like, he 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 thinks that he's grabbed this worldly identity that says, "I am loyal. I will ride till the wheels fall off with you." And like Jesus, if you look inside of just if you just follow the narrative of Peter of, of Jesus dealing with Peter, Peter is like, "Well, y'all have had coworkers or whatever that think they're like maybe better than they actually are." And like you want to help them, but like you have to arm wrestle them to get them like, "I know you think you're awesome, but your graphics kind of, I don't know." If you let me help you, I can help you. Jesus being extre- is being extremely patient with Peter because Peter's just like, God, I'm loyal. I'll, I'll roll with you and this and that. And Jesus is like, Peter, you aren't who you think you are, right? It's the text in Galatians. It's like you, you, you stumble over what you actually want. Like the sin is actually in you. It's not always just out there somewhere that you're fighting against or whatever, right? But it's actually in you. And Peter won't let it be actually him. He has this pride within himself, within his own. He, he He's laid out his virtues and how good he thinks he actually is. And he is like, he's overwhelming Jesus in it. And Jesus is letting him. But this day, he just lays it down to him. He's like, listen, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Because he knows that deep inside of his heart, Peter, that's going to crush him. Because his whole identity is wrapped up in something or whatever that is completely anti that. He's not a traitor. He's not a runner. It's like, if you can't can't hear what the rock is cooking, then he'll cut your ear off for you. All right? Smell what the rock is cooking. I'm sorry. That was a bad joke. But anyway. Anyway. But you get where I'm coming from. He's quick draw McGraw. He's going to pull the... He's like... He's that guy. Like, you ever been like any like guys ever had like a friend that's like quick to knock somebody out? Don't be ashamed because you're in church. You know you have seen somebody get knocked out once or twice in your life. But like you have that friend or whatever. You're like, hey, listen, if you in the fight. You want Todd with you. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, he's going to lay somebody out. I don't know who doesn't want to have that guy with them anyway. Peter's that guy and Jesus breaking them down. You're not who you think you are, Peter, right? He's loyal. He's all of these things, but it's, it's bootleg. It's a knockoff. It's not like the love of God. Let's look at something real quick. I want to Go back up and look at this love thing in verse 15. Um, Says this. Says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So what's important here is that when you read this, I think one of the tendencies is that you read it and you want to just look at it and you go, okay, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. It kind of, when you read it, you also, you kind of want to go, okay, yeah, if you love the world, then you don't love the Father. That's not actually what it's saying, right? Maybe that's implied, but it's not what it's saying. What it's actually saying, when it's talking about the love of the Father, it's actually talking about a, spe- a specific Brand of love that says that Jesus, like, it's, it's actually talking about, the, like, the love that we see embodied in Christ. So he says, the love of the Father is not in him. Did y'all catch that? Like, it's a type of love. It's not just saying that, you know, you don't love the Father if you love the world. He's saying the love of the Father is not in him. It is a specific brand of love right? Jesus' name is on the box. It's the name above all names, whose blood atones for the sins of mankind, who came and lived and died and rose again, who said he would never leave us or forsake us. It's a different type of love. It's not just how the world frivolously throws out the word love on anything and everything. It's the love of the Father. And John thirteen thirty four it says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, It's referring to the Father's love, right? This is Jesus talking. He says, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Once again, you catch that he's talking about a specific brand of love. That you love one another just as I have loved you. It's different than the way everybody else loves you. Christ's love is completely different, Right? Christ takes his love and actually throws it up on the cross. Christ actually takes all of our sins inside of this room and the whole world and actually wears it on the cross, right? He's the one that says, he, he, he actually is what Peter fantasizes about himself. Jesus actually the one that's saying, no, I actually will take that bullet to the head for you. No, I actually will die for you. No, I actually will, every time you fall on your knees, and repent, and walk in the light, will allow all of your sin to be heaped on me. That's who he's at. That's, that's, that's a different kind of love. There's nobody in this world that can offer anything like that. In verse 35, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a type of love that is very much identifiable. It's a different kind of brand. It's the only brand. It's the real deal. First Corinthians 13 gives us an insight on the word love. And I'm going to actually read this. I don't think I actually gave you all this verse. Um, But most of y'all have been through this scripture a million times or whatever. But to me, this scripture is absolutely remarkable. And it's one of those scriptures that is something you go back to over and over and over again to kind of vet your heart and see where you're actually at with the Lord. Um, I was just teaching a class the other day um, with um, Navigators uh, College Ministry, and um, I was speaking to the staff, and one of the guys was talking about his friend. Um, He's like, yeah, I have a friend or whatever. He, he believes all this crazy stuff. You know, I'm trying to walk with him and love him, and, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be bold and, and kind of jump on him and give him the truth, and I was like, cool. I said, hey, go to 1 Corinthians 13, and I said, read this verse about love really quick. And he read it out loud in front of everybody. And I said, does anything that you're doing with your friend right now, as you say, you're trying to win them to Christ, does it match any of this text right here? And he goes, no. I was like, okay. I go, trade what you think is good, love, for actually God's brand of love. It's Jesus. Do you get where I'm coming from? This is where the text becomes practical. It's way better than being on a Hallmark card. It needs to be on a heart, Right. So let me read this to you. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver myself up, deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This text is absolutely crazy because... Everything that we actually platform people for, it's saying that it actually means nothing, right? It's hard for the church to actually take, like, like I don't know about you or whatever, but like, you know, my wife this morning, and I'm not making this up because we're just in church, try not to cry, she called me an intellectual this morning. like what what did you say she's like yeah jay you're an intellectual i was like oh my god felt so good (laughs) almost 20 years i've been married to her trying to get a little get a little bit of that you know oh my god my flesh was just on fire intellectual what does it mean what does it mean right it scratches that itch. You know what I'm saying? Man, who doesn't want to be awesome? I want to go places and preach and just kill it. I've, I've been preaching for I don't know how long. I tremble every time I preach. I do. God didn't mean for me to be a superstar with this. I do it out of weakness, but I have to do it because he saved me, right? He saved me. That's yes. It's the love of God that compels me to do it. Like me being afraid went out the window a long time ago. It's not a it doesn't qualify against the goodness of the gospel. It's a true fear that I have to speak to people. But it's this small compared to like the grace and mercy of God. Does that make sense? It's it's actually made me brave. Without me being Brave if that makes sense to you. Let me tell you how I got saved really quick. I became a Christian when the Lord, my wife, we were dating and, um, she begged me to go to church. I was afraid to go to church. I was selling drugs and doing everything in the world or whatever and stuff and everything else or whatever. Um, I was a lot tougher than I didn't have a Mickey Mouse tattoo at that time. Um, that came later after the kids. But anyway, um, I was in the middle of a situation in the streets and I started going to church because I needed a quiet place to figure out how to go murder somebody. This is a true story. And uh, she wasn't a Christian either. She just was something was attractive to her at the church. And she was like, go, go, go. And I was like, no, no, no. And then the situation happened. I was like, all right. I'm going to go. I'll find a dark corner because my house was crazy and we're bagging up drugs and all this stuff. And I was like, I'll find me a dark corner to sit in to figure this out. I sat inside of the church or whatever, and I thought the people were absolutely crazy or whatever because they're just praising God and everything else or whatever. And there was this guy who used to wear like a five-piece all khaki blazer with the vest and some other stuff. And I used to, like, thought he was crazy. I talked to him one day, and he was really, really cool or whatever. And then after a while, I used to watch him worship, and I got jealous of him. Because I used to be like, I was like, man, like, I'm miserable. Like, what is this guy seeing? He would just be praising and looking at this guy. And I'm like, you know, next to him, like, I'm like, you know, I wanted to see it. You know what I'm saying? And so before I even really grasped the gospel, what kind of got me was this guy's worship or whatever and stuff or whatever. But nevertheless, I was just an evil something. And I, I just couldn't stand it. Every time they actually asked people to, like, come to Christ and everything else, I literally wanted to pick up a chair and throw it at the pastor. I did. I'm just be honest with you. Like, I was that evil. And I left out one Sunday during the altar call. I had this little slick thing. I would say, hey, babe, let's hurry up and beat the traffic because I could get away from whatever that was that was there. It was just weird to me. I walk out of the church. I know this sounds extremely charismatic, but nevertheless, it's my experience, and I can't change the story. It just is what it is. I walked out of the church, and I heard God clear as day speak to me. And all he said was, you're going to die this week. It was that simple. It was that. That was it. I didn't say who was that. I instantly knew who it was. I instantly knew. My wife, she said, Jay, what do you want to do? I said, I got to go back into the church. I went back into the church, fell on my knees praying with this guy. I didn't know anything about being politically correct with altar calls or anything. I didn't care about any of that. All I knew is that my life was over. I knew it before that even happened in the moment, to be honest with you. And I said, Jesus, I love my sin. I love it with all my heart. And I said, but it's going to destroy me. And I'm like, you can have my life, but I need you to change me from the inside. I said that prayer a million times growing up. But that was the first day I was willing to leave everything in my life, and nothing was ever the same. But what scares me when I think about that prayer, what what really blows my mind is that I had nothing to do with it. Like, I'm not even able to tell you the story and be like, man, you know, yeah, that guy really impressed on my heart. It caught my attention. I thought it was peculiar. I heard the Lord talking to me in the room, calling me. Like, there was some of the stuff that, like, I feel like sometimes the pastor was spying on me. It was amazing. But I love my sin way more. It was way more captivating and amazing to me. My selfishness, like wanting what I wanted. Right? To have the status to have power, to make sure nobody disrespected my name in the streets. I thought about this guy all the time. I'm like, man, he has a kid, man. You just had a kid. I'm like, yeah, but he shouldn't have done it. It just is what it is. It's the way the rules go, and he has to die. Evil. Absolutely evil. It, I still wake up in the morning right now like, how in the world am I here? Only grace and mercy. It's the only qualifier. That's it. You could have grown up in a family, and, like, you know, you just feel like, yeah, I got... Saved when I was a little kid and everything else. My parents were in the church. My father was in the church. That's still the grace of God that inside of one of you. It's just as my my testimony. You may you hear may hear and be like, oh man, that's awesome. Yours is just as amazing because somewhere in your family's trajectory, God interrupted them with the gospel and with His Son Jesus, right? For you to actually even come in line with that, it, it's it has nothing to do with our flesh has nothing to do with our flesh so all of this stuff speaking in the tongues of men and angels prophetic powers understanding all mysteries and knowledge able to remove mountains it's all awesome and cute but if it lacks the love of God it means absolutely nothing the brand is the father's love with Jesus on the box you understand what I'm telling you that's what he says about love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That type of love is different than anything that we've ever experienced. It's not dressed in a Hallmark card. It's not given and done because it's the right thing to do. It's not the card with the big heart on the front. It's more than that. These words seem simple enough to play with or whatever. So simple that at times we could actually afford these virtues to ourselves, like we're it. Like, cool, that's, that's the list for love. Oh, patient. I'm that. Keep this scripture in front of yourself for a whole day. You'll find out that you have to mark everything off. It's only... God has the the trademark on all of this, right? Through his son, Jesus. That's it. It's not ours. He has an eternal monopoly on the purest of ingredients, the spotless lamb, Jesus, right? His son. In John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter does this thing where he measures his goodness and his idea of love by himself. Jesus, excuse me, the father measures his love by his son Jesus on the cross. He loved the world so much so that he gave his only son. That's, that's, that's the quality of love. That's the brand he's talking about. It's, it's, it's out of this world. I'm gonna close with this and, and then uh just wanna encourage you with this. So for several years I used to walk with the king. And um and and so I have you know, I have a metal rod, my whole back is fused with my spinal cord and everything. Um and uh it's I've had so many surgeries I can't even list it. But like when I first had the surgery, I had to walk with a cane and then I had, you know, like the walker deal or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about, with the tennis balls on it. I used to try to match it to my sneakers and stuff, whatever and whatnot, you know, whatever, you know, show people like, you know, you got to do what you can, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, you see tennis ball with the sneaker, man? Where you get purple tennis balls? I got them. Boom. You know, like whatever, right? But I had to walk with this cane. And what was so hard about it was that, man, I felt like for, you know, like, you know, I was in a wheelchair at first and then I got the cane and I felt like a superhero for having this cane. Like, I felt like, man, I'm doing it, you know. And but people, they had this look in their eyes when they would see me like it gave me a whole nother perspective of just life in the world um, that I think serves me till this day or whatever. And even about myself or whatever. Um, but like people would just look at me like I was so broken. And it used to hurt so bad, you know. I felt like I was doing something, and they would just be like, "Oh, precious, you look at you," and I'm like, "Look at me, you used to sneak," and they're like, "No, you, you know, you're not whole. All of these things, you're not functional. You're not capable. You're not all of these things. You're broken. That's what their eyes told me." And even going to church, I, I couldn't. At a certain point, I couldn't stay and going to church anymore because. I would love to get prayed for by the saints, but, like, it's almost, I felt like I became, like, a spectacle or something, right? So I'd be coming in trying to, you know, drop my kids off, and i get pinned up against the wall. I'd be like, oh, you're going to get this prayers today. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know? And then in, like, 45 minutes, so I'm like, man, the line, you know, down at Cracker Barrel is getting crazy right now. Let me go, you know? And, like, they just went, you know, like, it's just every single Sunday. And so I would hide and not go to church. But I tell you all of this stuff to say is that I actually, I stopped using the cane like, earlier than I was supposed to. Like, like, I functionally needed that cane to move and stuff, but because I didn't want to be broken anymore, I stopped using the cane, right? And so I would just figure out how to do whatever kind of walk I needed to do and everything else because I didn't want people to see me like that. The gospel is very much this cane. Jesus is our cane, Right? But it's like, do, will we walk in the light and actually allow ourselves to be this needy? right? Or do we, Or do we succumb to all of these things right here, right? The lust of the eyes, the desires of our, of, a, of our flesh, the pride of life, Do we lean on something else instead of Jesus, right? Something that's rooted in itself, something that the world actually offers her, off, offers us? Or do we lean on Jesus? And so that's what I present to you today, that, 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 that Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross because the fact of the matter is this right here. You can lean wherever you want to lean, but only one side is the truth, right? There's only one brand of love that's actually the truth. And that brand of love, like, it, it, it says that our sin is so wretched that, that it required for the King of kings and Lord of lords to come off his throne and actually climb up on the cross and wear your sin. I don't know about you. I hear that, and I want to be so much better than that. But I'm not better than that. I'm not better than that. I want to love, love my wife so much and be like, man, Jay is so devoted, man. He has 10 kids or whatever. This dude is so awesome and this and that. Guess what? I've spent my whole life being a wretch until I met Jesus Christ. And I'm still broken in all these ways. I wake up every day, and because I like, I get to love my wife because of what God put in my heart. It's a gift. It's not a virtue of mine. It's not a virtue. She's amazing. She's amazing. I'm still foolish enough to destroy it till this day. I need my cane. My cane is what's going to get me home. My cane helps me love my children. My cane helps me walk in the light, right? It helps me, like, it helps me find myself at the foot of the cross in this very needy place that produces this fruit that is not mine. It gives me another brand of love. It has Jesus on it. Jay's brand is horrible. It's the last thing I'm going to leave you with because I think it's important. I hope that you go back and you actually Go through this text a little bit. But what's important is we serve a God who actually joys in removing our iniquities. Joys in removing our iniquities. And in Micah seven eighteen it says this it says, Who is a God like you pardoning pardoning iniquity and in passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We talked about it this morning. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That's That's the Lord we serve. That's the Lord we serve. This is actually what the world is actually dying for. And if you're a believer today, this kind of love is actually yours. They don't need you actually being awesome. They need you needing a king. Because everybody's wearing the mask, hurting inside, but trying their hardest not to limp. And God has called us to be people who actually glorify and magnify him in our neediness for him. Because that's truth. This is how we shine on the world is that we we walk into the light and we invite them into the light to have fellowship with the Father, to have fellowship with each other to move in spirit and truth to know each other for real right it's not easy it's a long story the church is not you know we snap and we start acting like we got everything together or whatever and and, 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 and listen y'all I know I'm kind of running on whatever, but I just feel compelled to tell you this but it, it's it's this long story of faith we have in the gospel that joins us together as a family The Bible talks about believers as a family. doesn't mean you're going to like everybody around you. But nevertheless, the blood of Jesus does tie us together as family. And we're on this long walk with each other. Um, And so I don't know why I just added that on to this as an exclamation point. But like, hold on to your church for dear life because of what the word says about it, even when it doesn't feel like it, right? Things don't always feel great with my wife all the time, right? Sometimes I have to tolerate her. I'm just playing. Like, but I'm not playing, but like some, but, but she has to put up with me. I don't know how she does, but she does. Right. But like, there's still this exclamation point that that's over us where we have this commitment to serve and love each other. And it holds us in place. It's the same thing for the church and the body. The world is outside doing something completely different right now. They're doing, they're doing something completely different. Right. And it's okay. Because what we have from a gospel standpoint, is meant to actually set fires in dry places. But like inside of the church, inside of the body, within this temple, within his people, it's not a dry place. It's not a dry place, even when it feels like it, it's not a dry place. All right, let me pray for y'all. Appreciate y'all allowing me to preach to you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just praise you, Father. We uh, we exalt you, Father, Lord, and we just bless your holy name. We... Um, God, I pray that you would help us to abide in this place with you where we are needy, Father Lord. I pray that you would save us from our arrogance and ego and pride and these things, the lust of the eyes, um, the pride of life, Father Lord. These things that actually sparkle and look really, really good, but they are not you. Um. They destroy and they tear things apart and they separate us from you. But, Father, Lord, we're here. We're here holding up our hands, saying we we're foolish enough to go chase after. Lord, we're foolish enough to do it. We're not here because we're good. Father, Lord, we're here because you've shined on us with your mercy and your grace and your love through your son, Jesus. Um, it's, It's the only boast we have. But in our foolishness. We start thinking all these other things are cute. So, God, we we come before you as people needy for you, hungry for more of you. um, And sometimes just not even hungry, just complacent. Help us. Help us. We didn't save ourselves. Continue to sanctify us. Continue to draw us towards you. You, Father, Lord, draw us towards Jesus. Help us realize our limp more and more. Help us to die to ourselves and perform for everybody else, Lord. So we praise you, Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us into this marvelous life, Father, of your son, Jesus. We thank you for this church, for being here in Augusta, and what you called them to do. I pray that people won't be nonchalant about this church, about this church home, Father Lord, but they would realize that it's been planted here as a light to a community. I pray that there would be a fire in dry places, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.